You're not repenting. God's judgment is coming, but he will preserve his remnant. Now, God's day is coming. That judgment is called the day of the Lord. Referred throughout the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. And uh, Zephaniah is recognized as the prophet who talks about the day of the Lord more clearly and eloquently than any other prophet. His focus is the day of the Lord. So what is this day of the Lord? We had it alluded to in our children's message. It's not quite a timeout chair, but uh, something like that for our children uh, to get their minds around. A day of judgment for the sins that uh, brought us and separated us from God. So we're going to talk a little bit about that day of judgment, but let's get a little background and get, let's get into the book of Zephaniah. So for those of you that took Old Testament survey or have been through uh, Old Testament history, just a little quiz. Oh, turn myself on so I don't have to speak so loud. How's that? Okay. Oh, yes. Modern miracle of modern. I thought you were telling me about your church history class. Um, here's a little survey. I'm going to read the verse verse of Zephaniah. If you want to follow along in your pulpit uh, Bibles or your uh, pew Bibles, it's at 1433. I'm just going to read the first verse. And there's a bunch of Hebrew names. But two of the names should be familiar to you. So let's see if you can recognize the two names that you should maybe remember if you did do church history or took a survey. Beginning Zephaniah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. A couple names jump out at you. Hezekiah. Hezekiah, one of the few and only good kings of the southern kingdom. And let's back up and, and just give a little church history timeline. You'll remember that Saul, David, and Solomon all ruled over a united Israel. But after Solomon, the kingdom was split, and Jeroboam became king of the north, and Rehoboam came, became king of the south. Jeroboam began a line of ungodly kings that led the people into rebellion. There was not one godly king in the north ever. And eventually that came to a time of judgment. And the Lord said he would bring judgment in that day through the Assyrian people. And the Assyrians came and conquered the northern ten tribes and took them away forever. That's where we get the expression, the lost ten tribes. They've never been heard of again. Conquered by a barbaric um, regime of the Assyrians. But what saved the south? Why did the Assyrians not take the south? Because Hezekiah. Hezekiah led a reform. Hezekiah repented. Hezekiah led the people to follow God. And they were saved. But that was 70 years ago from when we're talking about here with Zephaniah. And since Hezekiah, there had not been one good king in the south. They fall, fell right back into the trap that the north fell into. Until the boy king, Josiah, which is probably the other name you recognize there. Josiah. Josiah was a king that became a king at a young age and had godly mentors and they found the scrolls in the temple and he led a revival as well. And it was during that revival of Josiah that we had the book of Habakkuk and now we have the book of Zephaniah. So that gives you a little background of where we're at. So Zephaniah tells us about the day of the Lord. Let's go right to the scriptures and starting in verse 2. I'm going to read about five verses that describe to you the day of the Lord. 
beginning in verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away birds of the air and fish of the sea. I will overthrow the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal in the name of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs and the hosts of heaven, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Milcon, those who have turned their back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Pretty frightening. This is God's judgment on a rebellious people. On people that have wandered away, turned their back on God, and God promises that that rebellion deserves judgment. Even more frightening is that that is for all mankind. He will sweep away everyone. All of us, Romans reminds us, are sinners. All of us deserve judgment. All of us fall under the condemnation, are going to face the day of the Lord. And yet God talks about the forgiveness that can come, that can protect us from that judgment. But let's, let's stay with this day of the Lord and let's see what it applies to. Here it applies to Jerusalem and Judea, God's very people. But if you go on in chapter 2, you'll see some familiar names that are also included in this day of the Lord. In verse 4, Gaza. You hear about Gaza much today? In verse 5, Philistia. Verse 8, Moab and Ammon. Verse 12, Ethiopia, as we, the circle gets bigger and bigger. And finally in verse 13, Assyria itself, the most powerful nation in the world at this time. And Nineveh, their capital. All will be subject to the day of the Lord. And yet then in chapter 3, Zephaniah returns to Israel itself. And because we're including everyone, he says in verse, chapter 3, verse 2, you don't listen to my voice. You don't accept my correction. You do not trust the Lord. And you do not draw nigh. How could Zephaniah be saying this in the midst of Josiah's revival? Think about that. Josiah is leading a revival. There's many people that are responding to it. And yet this judgment still being declared on Israel. Because very few people ever respond to God's message. In the midst of revival, the still the vast majority do not respond. In the great revivals in this country, Jonathan Edwards, and we talk about some times of revival, Whitfield and Wesley, the great majority of the country did not respond. Even in the revivals of Israel, the majority of the country didn't respond. And that should be no surprise to us. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 13 and 14? Listen. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. It leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it 
are few. Sometimes we oversimplify that Israel was all bad. Do you remember what the prophet uh, said, that I'm the only one left? And Jesus said, no, no, you're not the only one left. There's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Or we think the revival comes and everybody responds. No. There are a few responded. Few responded to this message of good news. And so that judgment awaits the world. It awaits the mass majority of people who do not respond to God's good news. So what are we to make of this? What are we to make of this day of the Lord, this day of judgment? Because we also realize that while everyone is judged, not everyone will be punished. While everyone deserves judgment, not everyone will be punished. Because there's someone that took our punishment for us. He took it on that cross. He took the death that we deserve. He took the punishment we deserve. He said, I will cover your sins. I will forgive you your sins. Just turn to me. Repent and follow me. So what are we to make of this day of the Lord where there will be judgment and there will also be forgiveness? Well, first of all, the judgment. Two things that I think we need to be thinking about in the light of God's judgment that is to come. First of all, make very, very sure that you're covered by the blood of Jesus. That when that judgment throne and everyone stands before the Lord, when he decides who are the sheep and who are the goats, and you stand there, as everyone will stand there, waiting for his judgment, that he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come, enter my sheepfold. You've been covered by Jesus. You've accepted his forgiveness. And you followed me. Be very sure this morning that as in John 1.9, you've confessed your sins because he is faithful and just to forgive you sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No judgment will come upon you. And you'll be gathered in at that end times. That's the number one thing we need to make sure of as we sit here this morning, that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. What's the number two thing we need to do? We need to think about others that need that. Friends, family, loved ones, co-workers, neighbors, those who do not know this good news, who stand in to face God's judgment without that protection. Who are those that you can share this good news with? Pastor Nate uh, led us through an exercise this past spring to think about those names and to start praying for them. Are you praying for those people in your life that need this good news? Are you inviting them to hear this good news? Are you sharing this good news? That's the second thing we need to think about because a judgment is coming. And we can be protected, but we also want our loved ones to be delivered from that judgment, that day of the Lord. Well, second of all, the day of the Lord is not all about judgment. It's also about God's grace. On that day, that just as we see God's judgment poured out on, his, on people, we will see God's grace poured out on people. And that's the second thing I want to talk about this morning. So let's turn to chapter 3. And um, the scripture that should have been read by... Sorry. that we. <laughs> I was so eager to get to this. But... Uh, you, you know what? Read it for us, because I was going to read that in its entirety. Could you, this is the scripture more uh, um, reference that you should have had during the 
reading of the gospel. But come and read it for us, Adam. We're spontaneous here. All right, well, it's Zephaniah 3, uh, 14 through 17. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The word of the Lord. Amen. If the first sermon you heard this morning was all about judgment <laughs> and avoiding it, the second sermon you're going to hear is about God's grace and how we need to apply that in our life. And he just read to that. In that same book that talked about judgment over all people, he, in this chapter 3, he talks about the grace that will be yours if you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. So let's look at that grace. In fact, we're going to look at one verse. It's verse 17. Just verse 17. And we're going to find three things that I think we can apply this morning to experiencing God's grace that I hope you'll be able to experience with me as we read and study these verses, this one verse. 317. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you with his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Three things that we're going to then look at. The first phrase, the Lord your God in your midst is in your midst, a warrior who gives you a victory. God is a warrior who wants to win victories for you. Where do you need a victory in your life this morning? Where do you need a victory? Maybe it's just in your heart as encouragement, strength, hope. Maybe it's in a, a physical situation. Maybe it's a family need. Maybe it's a crisis you're facing. Where do you need a victory? God said he is your warrior. He will bring victory. I think of an experience that I had this spring. As you know, I'm wrapping up my responsibilities as head of school at Wheaton Academy. I'll be done in three days, but who's counting? Um, and as I wrap up on July 31st, I'll be done with those responsibilities as head of school. And there was one major responsibility that I've carried for the last five years. That was the responsibility to fund and build a science wing as well as bring in the money for over 200 kids each year for scholarships. And we set out planning that about five years ago. We launched it three years ago, and we knew that our target was to be done on July 31st, 2018, to raise $9.2 million. I've worked hard in the preparation in the last two and a half years, and I came to the end of this year, and any way I calculated it, it looked like we were going to be short about $200,000. I talked to all the donors. I talked to the donors not once or twice, but a third time. I talked about anything they could possibly do here before the July 31st. We'd uh, sent letters and talked to everyone, our new families. 
And sure enough, I come into the spring and it still looked like 200,000 short. I didn't share that number with anyone. I did let the board know that I don't think we're going to hit our goal. As best as I can project, and I'm trying to be responsible, if we count everything that could possibly come in, and what would they want to They said, okay, that's fine. We did good. Good job. We'll just carry it over into a mortgage, or we'll give it to your successor. Okay? They said, just don't worry about it. We'll carry it. This spring, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a friend of mine called, a good friend of mine. He has no kids in the school, never had anybody in the school. He'd given faithfully to the campaign at the beginning. He even responded to this final appeal. He gave me $50,000 in this final appeal, biggest gift he'd ever given to the school in his lifetime. So he was just calling a good friend to see how it was going. I said, you know, we're doing everything we can. We're working hard. I'm staying positive. And shared that with him, and he says, well, let me tell you, the Lord's laid it on my heart to give you $200,000. I had chills. I'd never shared that number with anybody. I never even knew he had the capability of doing something like that. He said, the Lord had laid it on my heart. I met him for breakfast uh, a week later to say thank you. I said, where did you get that number? He said, I don't know. Just seemed like the number God put on my heart. Who won that victory? The Lord. The Lord is a mighty warrior. He wants to win victories for us. Now, I'm going to back, go back to Habakkuk. What happens when he doesn't win that victory? What happens when that prayer is not answered? What happens when we're up against the wall and we're not seeing him act? And by the way, I could tell stories about where it took years and years and I had to look back over time and I didn't think he was winning the victory, but he did. But those times when he doesn't seem to be winning the victory, what do we do? Anybody remember from last week? We are first, silent. Second, faithful. And finally, joy. So whether he, we see him act or we don't, we can have the joy of him winning the victory or knowing he's with us as we face this difficult task. So number one, remember the Lord is your warrior. He wants to win that victory. And I, I challenge you to pray for that thing that you need victory for in your life. Second of all, the second phrase in 17 is he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. Kind of an abstract idea. He will renew you in his love. What does that mean? How could God renew you in his love? Well, I want to suggest three things we could do. One is we could be in his word. One is we could listen to the precious promises where God tells us he loves us. He tells us the story of what his son did for us. Where we're encouraged by his love because we read his love letter to us. And this is where we all as believers need to be in the word, whether we're reading it through consecutively or we're in our daily devotions or we just have time for meditation or we reflect on the sermon of the week or we listen to the, to the live streams of other sermons. But we need to be in God's word. We need to hear him say, I love you. There's something about hearing it, something about reading a love letter 
Do you ever go back to that letter more than once? Because you just wanted to hear it again. God has a love letter. We need to be in his word. We need to experience his love. A second way that we're renewed by God's love is in worship. I really appreciate Pastor Nate's focus on worship. I appreciate what Matthias does. A lot of times churches become routine. You just kind of run through and kind of go through the order of service and it's willy-nilly and you forget the speaker, you know, the person who's supposed to read the scripture and you're just going through the motions, right? It just can get like that. But I noticed um, the difference when I've preached in past years, many times they were just happy, Gene, what's your title and you have a hymn? You know, if I can plug in a title and plug in a hymn, you'll get your bulletin and everybody will be happy. Matthias didn't ask that. He said, what's your message? What are you talking about? He wrote the prayer that I prayed over you this morning. The call to worship last week that he went over with Brian. The music that's been crafted so that you'll be able to worship and focus on Jesus and not just some go through the motions. I hope as you appreciate the worship in this church, there is really an effort so that we can look at Jesus and we can think about God and not be distracted by so many things that can distract us or just get into the routine of, oh yeah, same old, same old. So feel God's love as you worship, as you hear his music, as you sing his praises. Also, Thirdly, his word, his worship, his people. His people. You need to be around loving people. Um, who makes you feel good? Who is it that when you're with them, you're encouraged? You spend time with them and you, and you finish and say, boy, that was great. We should do that again. I asked Barbara, I said, who is it that we spend time with that are a great encouragement to us. And we started building a list, some of whom are sitting in this congregation. Because when you're with them, they're encouraging. They show you friendship. They show you God's love. You need to seek out those people. You need to make time for those people. You need to invite them into your home or do something with them or even respond if they made an invitation to you to make sure you do that. Not only do you need to seek to be in the company of loving people, guess what? You need to be that loving people. You need to be that for others. We had an experience this week. I have a teacher. She was a teacher of mine. She seemed very old at the time. I think she was 23. And I was in high school. But she was my favorite English teacher. And we've kept friendship over the years. And probably 10 or more years ago, she came out to the lake house. And we had a wonderful time. And we keep talking about, we should do that again. You ever had that experience? Oh, we should do that again. And what happens? You never do it again. Well, it came down to her knees are so crippled, she has a hard time walking. And she can't drive at night. So the possibility of her coming out for a dinner at the lake or an afternoon of dinner and try to get home in the dark, that's why it's not happening. But does that mean she could never come out to the lake? Let's be a little creative here. I have another good friend that was in my class who equally appreciates this teacher, and she said, I'll drive her. So they met in Elmhurst, 
And they came in a car together. We said, bring your dog. That's her one friend. She's a single woman all her life. This is her little, her child. So come on out with Lord Byron. And so the dog and the teacher and my classmate came out. And I don't know if you remember what Thursday was like, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. We went out on the slowest boat ride that I've taken in two years, because usually I got grandkids and everybody else and trying to get back. But we took the slowest boat ride we'd done in two years, had a wonderful meal, shared each other's company, the love that you have as Christian brothers and sisters. She wrote in the guest book and then left. Barbara and I opened the guest book. Thank you for one of the greatest days of my life. And goes on to talk about what it meant to her. We need to be around loving people. We need to be loving people. That's how God's love is experienced as human beings, through the hands and feet and attention and care of one another. God wants to renew you with his love, his love letter, his word, his worship as we gather, and the fellowship that we can share with one another as we reach out and show his love. And finally... This last phrase, he will exult over you with loud singing. Do you realize that's the only place in scripture that's mentioned? God will sing over you. Now we always think about us singing to God, don't we? we all our songs are our praise and worship to a God who deserves our worship and adoration. But he's saying, you know what? God is so excited. He loves you so much. He sings over you. Just as a mother would sing over her baby. That's how much God loves you. We're going to close the service. I asked Matthias if he would just sing a song from God's perspective over you. And I want you to think about how much God loves you. I want, your, I want you to be renewed by God's love for you. Encouraged by God's love for you. Reminded of God's love that meant that you would never face condemnation or judgment. So Matthias, would you come and just sing? You can close your eyes or, or meditate, whatever you would like, and be thinking of God singing over you and how much he loves you. With miracles 
Father God, 